so I'll tell you from the start, you don't need to worry. I'm not going to go all sad Chad on you again this week. For those of you who missed last week, you don't know what I'm talking about. I just took some time to share that I'm feeling a little angry and sad and exhausted and overwhelmed and, and, and. Uh, It wasn't public therapy, at least that wasn't the point. Um, It was just me being honest. And like I said last week, um, I'm willing to be really honest because I know I'm not alone. I know that many of us are angry and sad and exhausted and overwhelmed and, and, and. So the point of all that was simply to help us to remember that we are not alone. And to say out loud that it's okay to not always be okay. And then, of course, the most important part is that we turn to the Psalms to guide us through that process. To walk by our side when we're not okay. So that we can be guided back to the confidence and security that we find in God's love. So if you missed that, uh, get online, check it out. It's on the podcast. would love for you uh, to hear that. So today, uh, like last week... I am going to ask you to bear with me, though. But not because I'm angry or sad, uh, but because I'm really concerned about something. I really believe that there is a problem that we need to deal with as the church. There is something wrong with our relationship with the world. There's something wrong with our relationship with the world around us. The division between the world and the church is just growing more and more every day. And I'm really concerned about it. And to be honest with you, I think Jesus wants to do something about it. So this morning, I want to read a passage that is probably very familiar to most of you. At least one of the verses is. Um, And then uh, I have a really tough question to ask in response. And it's a question that I'm asking myself. So I invite you to bear with me and we'll continue the story that Beth set up. This is John 3. I'm going to pick up in verse 14 through 17. He continues to talk to Nicodemus and he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who trusts may have life eternal in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever trusts in him shall not perish, but have life eternal. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for it. So Jesus, like Beth said, he is speaking to a man named Nicodemus, Nicodemus, this Pharisee, this leader, this teacher of Israel. And as they're talking about what it means to be born again, about what Jesus is up to, Jesus uses a story that Nicodemus knows. This story of a time when Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness. But maybe we're not all familiar with it. So I'll remind you. It comes from Numbers 21. I'm sure Numbers is a book that you read all the time. But it comes from Numbers 21. You actually should because it's hilarious. It's a really... Anyway. um, Okay. Numbers 21. uh, The Israelites are in the midst of their wandering. God had just saved them from slavery in Egypt. But as they're leaving Egypt and making their way to this land that he has promised them, they start to grumble and complain against Moses, against God. They ask God, they say, you know what? Just let us go back to Egypt and be slaves again. I mean, they so quickly turned away from the God who had just saved them. And along with that sin came a storm. Now, this is really important to say. One thing that I have learned is that not every storm is the result of sin. Y'all hear that? Not every storm is the result of sin. 
But I have come to believe that every sin does result in some kind of a storm. And this particular storm came in the form of poisonous snakes that entered into their camp and began to attack people. (laughs) Now, for some of you, I'm thinking my wife in particular, this might be the most terrifying story in the entire Bible. And apparently the people of Israel totally agreed because they began to repent like like really fast. Uh, It says, they came to Moses and said, I mean, there's nothing like a bunch of poisonous snakes to get you on your knees, right? (laughs) They come to Moses and they said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The story goes on to tell us that God told Moses to make this bronze serpent, attach it to a pole and raise it up so that everybody could see it. And if anybody was bitten by a snake, They were to look up at that bronze serpent and they would live. And they did. So this symbol of a serpent wrapped around a pole became a very important symbol for the people of Israel. It's appeared in many cultures throughout history. To this day, this is a symbol of healing even in our time. So Jesus uses this story to remind Nicodemus of something. He uses the story to tell Nicodemus that something better is coming, that there's a better symbol ahead, more than a symbol, the image of both the love and the power of God on full display to heal not just poisonous snake bites, but a broken and lost world. This is from N.T. Wright. He says, humankind as a whole has been smitten with a deadly disease. The only cure is to look at the Son of Man dying on the cross and find life through trusting in him. John's gospel makes it really clear from beginning to end that evil, or what John usually refers to as darkness, that it's deeply rooted in every one of us, that it is this poison that's destroying us from within. And he goes on to tell us that that darkness was allowed to have its way with Jesus as he hung on that cross. And when we look up and we see him on the cross, we are looking at the consequences of that darkness in us. We're looking at the consequences of our brokenness, but we are also witnessing the good news that God decided to do something about it. And now we have an empty cross and an empty tomb, so we can see with our own eyes what God's love looks like in its fullness. And now we all stand at the foot of the cross And we all stand there and all humanity now has to make a choice. Will the world look up to the cross and find healing and hope and real life? Or will we continue to look for a golden snake to save us? Y'all know this story well. It's the simple gospel. Will you trust God to heal and save you? Or are you going to continue to allow the poison, that darkness to destroy you? I love when N.T. Wright said that. He said that we are smitten by a deadly disease that's attractive, kind of want it, but it's deadly nonetheless. You don't have to let it destroy you. There's another way, but you gotta make a choice. Now at some point in your life, somebody shared that good news with you, that's why you're here. Many of you have made that choice, but here's something that maybe you haven't always considered. This isn't just about you. The world around you is also looking for the antidote to the poison and the darkness in them. 
And that's why scripture tells us, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever trusts in him shall not perish but have life eternal. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So here's the really tough question. And here's where my confusion comes in. If God did all of this because of his great love for the world, when did we decide that it's okay for us to judge and condemn the world for him? Y'all, everybody who is now in Christ was once in the world. So if God so loves the world, why don't we? I told you, it's a really tough question. This reminds me of another story, a familiar story probably from the Old Testament. You guys maybe have heard of Jonah. Uh, Jonah was a prophet of Israel, but he gets his own book in the Bible, but the book really isn't about him. The book of Jonah is a story about God's desire to save an entire city, to save a lost world. But Jonah wanted God to judge and condemn that city. He didn't want any part of their salvation. He actually wanted to sit back and watch their destruction. I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible says it. I told you about the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's an amazing Bible to read with your kids. It says this. It says, go to Nineveh, God said, and tell your worst enemies that I love them. In all caps. No, said Jonah. (laughs) No. And he goes to the nearest port and says, one ticket to not Nineveh, please. (laughs) And then he boarded a boat and sailed in the opposite direction. So there's this huge storm, there's this big fish, but eventually Jonah preaches to the city. And he says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all he says. It's not like the most encouraging message (laughs) that the city probably ever heard. It's actually only five words in the Hebrew language. But even though that's all he said, the entire city repents and finds forgiveness. Now, you might think that that's the dramatic turn in the story. An entire city, New York City, on its knees in repentance. But it's not. The turn in this story is a tragic one. Because Jonah looks on the city as it repents, as God's love saves them, And the story tells us that to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish. That's not Nineveh. That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. That entire chapter is typically left out of children's Bibles. Jonah was a prophet of Israel, one of God's people, a people who time and time again rejected God, rebelled, refused to trust and obey him. A people who time and time again were saved by God, the same God they rejected and rebelled against. Jonah himself in chapter two is saved from death by God. 
Jonah was a man from a people who lived in the darkness, but God chose them and his mercy continually brought them into the light, gave them life, gave them hope, and gave them a future. But his heart was lost. His heart toward a lost city had grown cold and bitter and hateful. He was furious that God would offer to others the same mercy and grace that God offered to him. The idea that God was going to redeem and restore a group of people that Jonah hated and judged and condemned, that was just too much for Jonah to bear. But God so loved the world. God did not send his son to condemn the world. Jonah was once in the world and was himself saved by God. So if God loved that city, why couldn't Jonah? When did Jonah decide that it's okay to judge and condemn the city for God? And if God so loves the world, why don't we? This summer, some of our elders and staff, we've been meeting with this ministry called Steiger International. Um, their mission is to equip the local church, followers of Jesus all around the world, to love a generation of students and young adults who wouldn't otherwise walk into a church. And they're really clear about the problem. They do a great job of presenting the problem. Um, a study out of the UK shows that nearly two-thirds of people between the ages of 18 and 35, they identify as having no religious belief of any kind. It's an entirely new category that they call the nuns. Not like the nuns in UN, but the nuns. They have none religion. <laughs> and these people, they see the church as irrelevant to their daily lives. They see it as a dead, empty tradition from the past. And while these generations are becoming more and more disconnected from Jesus and his church, the internet and social media has made them more and more connected to one another all around the world. And this has created something that has never existed before in human history, a global youth culture, an entire system of beliefs, a worldview that is shared among people of certain generations regardless of where they live regardless of what country they're in, what government they're under, what culture they come from, or what language they speak. And what we're finding is that much of what this culture has to share with them is leading to record numbers of depression and suicide, and even though they're the most connected generation in history, they're the loneliest. And they'll tell you that. And all of this sits in the palm of their hand 24-7 instant access to every philosophy and belief system the world can throw at them. If I were to start describing some of the shared beliefs of this global youth culture, some of you will just start shaking your head because you'll think it's stupid. But others of you, it, it, might, it might make you mad. Like, like Jonah looking out over Nineveh mad. Aaron Pierce is the director of Steiger. He told us a story the other night. Uh, he met a young man in a park uh, and this young man was just anti-everything. He's anti-establishment, anti-capitalism, anti-religion. Uh, he is somebody who's just accepted, his worldview has accepted things about this world that are really just in direct opposition to the things that, that many of us believe and hold dear. In so many ways, for many of us, he very well might be considered like an enemy. 
But what did Jesus tell us to do with our enemies? So rather than argue with him about the things this young man was against, rather than just start arguing against telling him he's wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong, Aaron just asked some questions. He just listened. And he waited for the opportunity to find something on which they agreed. And what he found was that the reason this young man was anti-everything was just because he had lost trust. He had lost faith in people. He'd been hurt in the past. That hurt, caused by other hurt people, led him down a really specific and dark path. And not only distrusting individuals, but all the way to governments and systems. He wasn't anti-everything for no reason. He was anti-everything because he could no longer trust anything. So guess what they agreed on? They agreed that humans are broken. Every one of us. That deep down inside, every single person is a darkness that will control and consume us if we don't look to something beyond ourselves for help. If we don't look to the light, the darkness will take over. Aaron could have started by calling out his individual sins. He could have started by teaching the theology of original sin. But he started by listening. And those truths were revealed by the young man himself. He was drowning in the darkness that he found in all the things that he was against. And what he needed was someone, a follower of Jesus, who chose to be loving and joyful and peaceful and kind, who chose to take time to listen, to patiently wait for something that they agreed on, who chose to then tell that young man some really good news. Now, at the end of the day, just like each and every one of us, he's going to have to answer that question that's posed by John's gospel. Will he look up to the cross and find life? Can he find trust in him somewhere to trust in the living God through Jesus? And I don't know how his story is going to turn out, but I am praising God that a follower of Jesus took the time to look for common ground, took the risk to tell this hurting young child of God just how much he's loved. I am praising God that a follower of Jesus chose to love him first rather than start with judgment and condemnation. I'm grateful for Aaron's story because it gives me hope. And y'all, I need it. Because I'm worried that sometimes the world is influencing the church more than the church is influencing the world. The world around us has trained us, is training us. It is equipping us to look for things that we disagree about. It is teaching us to use those disagreements as weapons against each other. It is teaching us to let our difference separate us from one another, even to let the church separate itself from the world. It is teaching us to pick a tribe and fight for territory. Now look, I don't think anybody in this room intends to offer the world judgment instead of love. I don't think we intend to do that, and I've, I've got some evidence of that. We just baptized a guy today who chose to be baptized here because he saw God's love in and among us, and he saw God's love shared with him. 
Hallelujah. Like I asked him if I could point this out, but y'all, like at First Pres Kingwood, we just baptized a dude with face tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) Who has his own story. And he'll share his own story. But that story brought him to the foot of the cross and he brought that story here so that we could celebrate it with him. That is good news to me. That is evidence that we're okay. I told the earlier service a little bit about it and they were excited too, which made me excited. And then I told him, I said, but you know, you got a senior pastor covering tattoos. I mean, what'd you expect? <laughs> like this was, this was bound to happen. So I know that nobody here intends, I don't think, Anybody here intends to offer the world judgment instead of love, but y'all, we are as easily manipulated by the world as anyone else. Maybe we don't even realize it when we do it. I do think there are ways to tell when we're buying into those lies. The world is no different than we were before we found Jesus. So if our first instinct is to judge and condemn the world for how terrible and lost they have become, That's a sign. It's a sign that something is manipulating us and training us to see them as someone different than us. It's a sign that it's time for us to look at the cross again and repent ourselves. It's a sign that it's time for us to remember where we were when God first found us, to remember that he found us when we were lost and deserved judgment and condemnation, yet he showed us love and mercy, and grace, and forgiveness. The church was given to the world to be light in the darkness, a community of people who were once blind, but now we can see. A people saved from the darkness by Jesus, a people who were now sent into the world to reveal to the world the beauty of the Father's love. I don't want the world to know us as Christians by our judgment, because they're supposed to know us by our love. So the so what for today is pretty simple. I told you a bunch of stories, but at the, bottom, at the end of the day, are we, are we like Jonah? Maybe we're sitting in that place Nicodemus was trying to decide. Are we like Jonah? Have we lost our way because we're so caught up in judging and condemning others? Even more tragically, do we even care if a lost world is saved or not? And if the answer to that question is no, then it is time for real repentance and prayer because that is the only thing that will lead us to a place where we can truly love them as God loves them, as he desires to make them part of us. Everyone who has found Jesus was once lost. We were them before we experienced and embraced the love of Jesus. Where would I be if no one loved me enough to point me to Jesus? Where would I be if no one stepped in and loved me enough to point me to Jesus? And you guys know that story. Who was it that did that first in my life? It was my grandmother. And that is so important because it's not about some random person at the other part, at the other side of the country. This is about our kids and our grandkids. They are the ones who are part of this global culture and we risk losing them if we don't love them enough to point them to the cross? Will we be like Jonah? Or will we be like Jesus? Will we so love the world 
Will we be full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Will we so love the world that we will point them to the cross and the empty tomb and tell them how much they're loved by their beautiful Savior? I have to tell you today, when I look at that cross, I can say what many others have said before me. They've said this exact same thing. I now hear Jesus say, Chad, I love you, but I didn't do this just for you. I love them too. Go tell them. God so loved the world. Can we love the world enough to at least invite them to simply look up? Can we train our voices to sound less like judgment and condemnation and more like this? Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you know that, will you sing it with me? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father God, for the ways that we have judged and condemned the world around us, we repent and we ask for your forgiveness. We come on our knees back to the foot of the cross, the same place you first found us. And we pray that you would continue to transform us into a people who don't go there first, who don't go to judgment and condemnation, but go to love. A people who in love are willing to guide people back to the truth, to say, no, that's not right, but to do so by pointing them to you first, by listening, by building relationships, especially with people who are nothing like us. So God, continue to guide us and mold us and form us and shape us into the people you're calling us to be. May we be light in the darkness, not just more darkness. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at FPC underscore Kingwood. We'll see you next time.